Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to the 10th chapter of John. John chapter 10. We'll come back to Romans 12 and you'll already be there. In John chapter 10, Jesus said to them in verse number seven, most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I have come that they, talking about his sheep, may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, one Uh, excuse me, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. I want you to to notice here that Jesus is talking about the, the nation of Israel being combined together with the church into one fold. He's talking about his own sheep in Israel, those who heard his voice and responded to him, talking about the people who, not just everyone in Israel, but the people in Israel who responded to his ministry and received him. He said, they, they know me, they know my voice. And, and he says, I lay down my life for them. And then he said, I have other sheep, which are not of this fold, but they're gonna be combined and make one fold. And of course, that's talking about the church. The thing, there's so much that, that we could talk about about this verse. I'm really not wanting to, not wanting to teach so much on this passage as, if, as, as much as to just point out one thing, that the church is a sheepfold and Jesus is the shepherd. Now, we know there is a universal church compiled of all uh, believers everywhere in whatever denomination or whatever congregation that might be in today, all believers in Christ, not only here in the earth, but all those believers in Christ who have gone on to heaven. There's one church. Part of the church is in heaven and part of the church is here. We call that the universal church. There's also a local church. And a local church is also a flock. The thing I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus' way of taking care of his flock is in the sheepfold. And so these these scriptures that talk about Jesus as being the good shepherd, he's also called the great shepherd. 
He's also called the shepherd and bishop of our souls over in 1 Peter. So he is the good shepherd, the great shepherd. But then in local congregations, there is a flock and the pastor is the under shepherd. In other words, the pastor is the shepherd of the, of the local flock serving under the Lord Jesus. It is still God's plan to care for his sheep in the sheepfold or we could just say in a local church. Though let me say it again and just say it a little differently. The local church is Jesus' way of caring for his own. The local church is Jesus' way of caring for his own. Now, with that in mind, the, the reason I'm saying that is that today there is a, and I've talked about a little bit uh, about this before, but today there is a much greater understanding of the universal church than there is of the local church, even though you can't see the universal church. You can drive down the highway, you can be stuck in traffic and there can be cars sitting all around you. You can look to your right and left and see people in those cars. It's very likely members of the church are in those other cars, but you wouldn't know it. Isn't that right? In other words, the, the universal church is, in, is invisible in the sense you can't see it. It's comprised of all believers everywhere. And yet more Christians have an understanding of the universal church than they do of the local church. Now, I've also pointed this out, and I'll just say these things real quickly to, go, to, to get beyond them. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. And I was a young pastor. I had been pastoring a few years when I began to get some more insight concerning the church, something that I didn't see before. And I know if I didn't see it, even being in the ministry and pastoring a church, I guarantee you that a lot of you don't see it. Amen? I had been pastoring several years before I began to realize that God actually identified and recognized individual local church that he could call a church by name. And that each individual, each individual church was a distinct spiritual body made up of believers that he had called together into that, in that church. And, I, and I, I began to see that. I won't go into the scriptures that showed me that. But I, I began to get some insight on that. And, and it was really thrilling to me. It, on, on the one hand, it was thrilling. In another way, it wasn't. Because I, I, suddenly, <clears throat> excuse me, I suddenly realized that just like in the book of Revelation, Jesus talked about seven different churches in the book of Revelation. He knew where those churches were. He knew the, who the pastors were. He knew what was going on in those churches. At first, it was really exhilarating to me to know that Jesus recognized my church. He was aware of what was going on. In the, ooh, okay. Uh, he wasn't happy with all of those churches. And so I began to be, con be concerned about, you know, I need to be real careful about what goes on in my church because he is aware of what goes on here. Every church is a distinct spiritual body that Jesus has called together and he has a purpose and a vision for each church and we've talked about that before. I don't want to go into that. But um, and so I saw that and then a few years later, uh, Shekinah Glory was ministering in, in our church and this was back in the 90s so I'd been pastoring for a while and uh, Lois Toucher said something preaching one time and she said, she said this, she said, in the New Testament, there is, the New Testament has far more to say about the local church than the universal church. She said that of the 110 references to the church, now, 
that's dependent upon uh, each uh, commentator's interpretation. I see 109 refer references to the church. So just understand I'm, a, I'm one, one number off from, from Lois. But she said of 110 references to the church in the New Testament, 90 references were to the local church and only 20 to the universal church. I mean, she almost knocked me out of my chair when she said that. That, that I couldn't hardly wait until I, until I got into the word of God and found out for myself if that was true and I found out it was true. And I found out several other commentators, not, not word of faith people or spirit-filled people, just, you know, uh, uh, Nazarene people and, and uh, people of, from different backgrounds, commentators that I've read, they've pointed out the same thing. They've, some have said, you know, there were 87 references to the, to the uh, universal church and, 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 uh, and 23 to the local, you know, to 23 to the universal church and 87 to the local church. But all of these commentators basically said the same thing that the New Testament has far more to say about the local church than it does the universal church by a ratio of roughly four to one. And, uh, and so it's interesting to me when you think about it that most Christians relate more to the universal church than they do to the local church even though they participate in a local church or are involved in a local church. They really relate more. I know when I'm in Bible schools, I'm teaching in Bible schools on the local church, I'll ask the students, write me a one-sentence definition of what is the church. And, I'm, and Pastor Angela can tell you, I mean, by way large majority, the students in the Bible school will say, the body of Christ, the church is the body of Christ made up of all believers everywhere or something to that effect. In other words, they talk in terms of the more... Uh, 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 mysterious sort of idea of the universal church, the invisible church, and that's always their first answer. And, uh, and so, like I said, that's interesting to me since the New Testament actually talks about the local church more. Uh, in fact, the primary development of theology, you know, the, the, the New Testament is complete, and it was completed early on. It was completed by the end of the first century. But theology, the schools of theology, studying different doctrines and developing those doctrines, when, when someone develops doctrine, they're not developing the Bible. The Bible is the Bible. And then doctrine comes out of that. The, the, doct or the, the, the theology of the, of the universal church didn't even begin to emerge until the second century. And it culminated in the late 4th century with the title or the, or the phrase, the Holy Catholic Church. Now, the Catholic Church then doesn't mean, didn't mean what it means today. It wasn't talking about the Roman Catholic Church. The word Catholic then just simply meant the universal church. And so by the 4th century, by the end of the 4th century, this doctrine had been solidified in the church of the recognition that there was one universal body of Christ, the holy universal church, the holy Catholic church. That was not the primary understanding of the church in the first century. Now again, that doctrine is true. There is a holy universal church. You could say a holy Catholic church, not the denomination, not the Catholic denomination, but there is a holy Catholic church. The New Testament talks about the universal church. So that doctrine didn't create the reality. The reality created the doctrine. But at the same time, the truth of the universal church was not stressed, 
nearly as much as the truth of the local church. Like I said, by a four-to-one ratio, the New Testament focuses on the universal church. So when believers in the first century, when they thought about the body of Christ and about the church, they most often thought about the local assembly. And, we've, and I've taught on this before that the word ecclesia, which is translated church, means when you, when you take its, its literal definition and then you bring into it the way it was used, both before Christ and during the time of Christ and the years later in Greek culture, excuse me. <coughs> when you bring all that together, the word, what the word church meant to the first generation of believers was a called together assembly of believers. Not assembling because they chose to come together, but assembling because God called them together. There was a sense, there was an understanding that that word meant it wasn't just a gathering, but a called together assembly. Who calls us together? The Lord Jesus does. That's why, you, you know, whenever you've been out of church a week or two and, and maybe you've been on vacation or, or something and, and, and it comes time to go to church again, you say, oh man, it's been so long since I've been, you experienced that. I've missed being in church. There's that excitement. I know whenever I was younger in the Lord, you know, and mingled a lot more with people in the world, people would ask me, you know, why do you go to church all the time? <coughs> Sometimes our answers just fall on deaf ears. You know, people look at it. We'll say, well, we go to church because it's fun. It's like, what? Yeah, well, it, it's, 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 it builds me up. What does that mean? So our, our, our answers don't make sense to people. The real reason we go to church all the time is there is a tugging on our heart. The Spirit of God tugs on our heart. I'm telling you, if you stay even remotely filled with the Spirit... Okay, by spending time worshiping the Lord and praying and fellowshipping with him through the word, if you stay full of the spirit, even to some degree, when it gets close to, to church time, there's an anticipation, there's an excitement. Ooh, we're gonna get together and, and join. That's the ecclesia. That's what that is. That's that drawing, that being called together. And so uh, what I wanna talk about today is how we think about ourselves. Are you a believer or are you brethren? Or do you see yourself as a believer or do you see yourself as brethren? We're both. But how do you see yourself? Amen? In, let's go back to uh, uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. Praise the Lord. I tell you what, I don't want to start in Romans 12. But, but hold your place there. Go, <laughs> go to 1 Corinthians 12. And we'll come back to Romans 12. Go to 1 Corinthians 12. It, it'll introduce what I, I want to say a little bit. But I'm not really following my notes real carefully. So Romans chapter 12. Now, verse 12 begins to talk about the universal church, okay? But then by the close of this section of chapter 12, he brings it home to the local church, okay? Verse number, chapter 12, verse number 12 says, 
For as the body, now this is talking about the human body, our physical body. For as the physical body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Notice he's talking about the universal church because he's talking about uh, all the body. For as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of that body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. So he's talking about the universal body of Christ. He's, because of the terms, these inclusive terms, all of us. You see that? Then he said, he talks about how the body of Christ is dependent upon one another. And he said, for in fact, the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, he's talking about the physical body again. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed they are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet. I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it that there should be no schism in the body but that the members should have the same care for one another. He's talking about, first of all, the human body. That's, the, that's, that's what he's using as an illustration. You notice that if you, if you hit your finger with a hammer, your whole body comes to attention. Your whole body runs to uh, the, the medicine cabinet. Isn't that right? To get a cold, or to the refrigerator to get a cold pack. Your whole body goes into action over that one finger. That's the point he's making out. He said that uh, there should be no schism in the body, but the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now notice here. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. See, he certainly just brought this right down to the local church. He said, you, who's he talking about? You at Corinth. He was talking to a, he wrote this letter to the church at Corinth. Now it would apply to the church at Ephesus and, and, and so forth, but this letter was addressed to a local body. And he said, so you now are the body of Christ and members individually. See, what we need to understand as a church, we are members of one another. The very idea of the body of Christ and where, where does that come from? We've talked about this before. When, when you were born again, you were placed into Christ. You were joined to Christ. There is a spiritual union that 
uh, occurs when someone is born again, when a, non, a non-believer believes on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit moves upon his heart, recreates him. The new man is birthed on the inside and that new man is birthed somehow. So how does it happen? I don't know. I just know. I don't know how I know. I just know because it's in the Bible. That new man is created in union with Christ. Somehow that believer but when just a few minutes before that individual was an unbeliever and he was dead in trespasses and sins, when, when the Spirit of God moved on him and recreated his, his inner man, his spirit man, and made him a new creation in Christ, that new creation was joined to Christ at the same time. He wasn't created outside of Christ. He was created in union with Christ. But at the same time, that, that idea or that concept of the body of Christ it does not just employ the idea of our union with Christ, but it is equally our union with one another. Because if we're in Christ, if I'm in union with Christ and you're in union with Christ, we're in union. Just like my hand is just as much a member of my body as my foot. And so I'm conscious of the fact that I am one body physically. Well, we are one body in Christ. Now, that's true universally, but again, remember, when when the New Testament was written, the word ecclesia, the word church, conjured in the thinking, in the the, uh, mindset of the people who heard that word, they always thought about a local assembly. It wasn't until some of these other scriptures began to, to, to dawn on them that there was a universal church made up of all believers. But the first thing they thought of was the fact that we are a local body. So a local church is made up of believers who have been joined to that church. Now, you're not joined to the local church to the same degree that you're joined to Christ. In that once you're in Christ, uh, you, you don't get out of Christ. You don't separate from Christ. Well, you know, people do come and go out of local churches, and that's okay. You understand what I'm saying? But when the Spirit of God leads you, however you uh, responded to that leading, however that came about, whether you prayed and God appeared to you, a vision in the night, and Jesus was standing before you and say, thus you shall go to Impact Family Church, and there you shall abide until you die, you know. Whether, whether, whether you got guidance that way or whether you visited churches and just, you know, just prayed about it and you just seemed right, you know, that this was the right church for you and, and, and you enjoyed it and, and there was just a witness in your heart. However, the Spirit of God leads people. When you were led to go to a local church, God placed you in that local church and you became a part of that local body. And that's what happened right here at Impact. When the Spirit of God led you to Impact, you became part of this local body. Amen. So how do you see yourself? For many Christians, church membership and and belonging to a church even though they wouldn't rationally say this, 
in effect, they're, they're, they're uh, re- relating or their relationship, how they relate to the local church is, is almost like joining a club. You know, you might belong to the, the PTA or you might belong to you know, the, some uh, community organization of some kind. You, and you, if it's something that you really believe in, you know, maybe you're into scouting or you're into something, you know, and, you, and you're involved in that. And you're a member of that club. Unconsciously, a lot of times, believers only relate to the, to the local church sort of in that way. I, be, I'm a, I've, I joined that church club. Now, you would never say that. But here, here's the point. So often people see themselves as a member of a congregation. I go to this church and I even went through the members, new members class and I signed my name on the dotted line and made certain agreements, you know, and now I'm a member. But it's more like membership in a club than understanding that we are a spiritual body that God made you a member of long before you ever put your name on that dotted line. The name on the dotted line is helpful for practical purposes. But if God hasn't put you in the church, putting your name on the dotted line won't make you a part of it. Isn't that right? But people don't very often see that. Now, what am I talking about? What, what do I mean when people don't see themselves as really part of a spiritual body? They don't understand that it is God who calls us together, that we assemble at his bidding. Now, he works with us on the schedule. The New Testament does not identify any set service schedule. How often we should meet, what days of the week should we? Now, it was a, it's a historical fact from the New Testament that the church started meeting on the first day of the week, which for us, the first day of the week is usually considered the, the first work day, and we call Saturday and Sunday the weekend. But in Bible times, Sunday, the, the Sabbath was from Friday night to sundown Friday night to sundown Saturday night. And what we call Sunday was what Monday is to us today. It was the first day of the week. Well, they met on the first day of the week. In other words, the early church didn't have a day off from work. They just got together whenever they could. And they, and they got together most often on the first day. And they did that in recognition of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead on the first day. Okay. But the New Testament doesn't specify what day we must meet, how often we meet, what our times and scheduling. He works with us, but there is a standing invitation to meet. It's, it's, it's there all the time. The invitation and the drawing from God, he's working with us whenever we schedule because we can't meet all the time. But when we can and when we set, these are the times, and that's done very traditionally. You know, we meet on Sundays and we meet Sunday mornings. But God works with us, and he's always drawing us to those meetings. But see, it's a supernatural thing. It's not a natural thing. For too many people, meeting for church is a natural thing. Because, you know, coming to church is definitely a social activity, isn't it? You see what goes on here when we take a few minutes, you know, to greet one another? I mean, going to church is definitely a social activity. 
You come in, you're greeting one another, and you're talking about whatever's going on in life. It's, it's very social, but we lose, we lose sight of the fact that it is a spiritual event that God has called us together to, and he has made us a part of it. I, I see sometimes people, you know, in town, I'll run into somebody, you know, at the gas station or something. I said, we've missed you. Where have you been the last couple of weeks? Oh, well, and then they start giving me all these reasons why, you know, they didn't come. And usually it's not because they just got up Sunday morning and said, what am I doing? Why do I do this? I'm not going to church today. And just went back to bed. Most people don't miss church because they intended to. They miss church because they just simply neglected to come. Other things got in the way. And the list of other things is endless. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And, and there are some good valid reasons to miss church. We talk about vacations. You know, the reason I'm not against vacations is because I like them myself. My wife and I were off, what, two Sundays ago? We were out of town for the weekend, and it is good to get away. There's nothing wrong with that. But when we let frivolous things, other things that shouldn't interrupt us, things that think about why you stayed out of church last time and ask yourself, did that thing rise to the level of that divine calling on my spirit to assemble with the Lord Jesus and with the rest of the church. Did that thing that kept me out of church, was it that important? Was it that, I mean, was, that, was it that significant? Most of the times not. I'm just telling you. So it's natural thinking that defeats us. Instead of thinking really, realistically in line with the scriptures. So I ask this question. See, we're, we're, we're more than just disciples of the Lord. We're more than believers. A lot of times we call ourselves believers. So-and-so, we talk about saying, is he a believer? Yeah, he's a believer. Talking about somebody we've met, so we found out, say, yeah, he's a believer. He's a Christian. We're more than disciples. We're more than believers. We are brethren. We're brethren. We're brothers and sisters. We're members of a body. That's, that's, that's a deeper connection than just being, believing got you saved, but when you were saved, you weren't just left as an isolated believer, you were, you were knit together into the church. So I ask the question, are you a believer or are you a brother, a brother? Are you a believer or are you brethren? That sistering would be the same thing. Are you a believer only, or are you a are you a brother? So, well, I'm a brother. Only your life tells you. Only how you live answers that question. You can answer the question, you know, with your mouth one way, but how do you live? Does your life reflect the fact that you consider yourselves a member of this body? The, the, the scriptures talk about, go over to, to uh, we might not get to, Rome, to, to Romans 12, honestly. But you know, there's some other verses in the Bible that are pretty good too. <laughs> did we read Romans 12? We never did, didn't we? We read 1 Corinthians 12. Let's go to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Praise the Lord. Are you having fun today? Yes. Glory to God. Ephesians 4. 
let's just pick up, and just to save a little bit of time, we're going to pick up in the middle of a thought, and I hate to do that, but let's start in verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, may we grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Now notice, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share. Uh Uh-oh, pastor, I knew that's where you were heading. (laughs) Now listen. It does say Holy Bible I'm reading. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I think probably the the first uh, fundamental application here is to the whole church universal because it's talking about the whole body. But what about the whole local church? See, there's, there's a concept here of the whole body talking about the universal church, but turn over to 1 Corinthians 14, not 12. Turn to, just hold your place in, in, in Ephesians. Put a, put a pinky there because I just want just to, to look at verse chapter 14. First Corinthians 14, 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place. Well, that couldn't be talking about the universal church because the whole universal church couldn't come come together in one place. Isn't that right? So that's talking about the whole local church. Can I take a side journey here? I recently received some information about a a, a survey that was taken. It came from the National Director of of RAMA Ministerial Association, sent out an email a few weeks ago and said that he conducted, RAMA, uh, RMAI, conducted a survey of a 1,000 RAMA churches. That's a good number of churches. Back at the end of 2017, the, he just published the results a few weeks ago. And at the end of 2017, 510 churches responded or participated to the, with the survey. So that's, that's half. That's a pretty good sampling. Half of the uh, RAMA churches. Of... 510 churches, only 46 churches have a Sunday night service. Not 46%, 46 churches. Out of 510, which was half of the Rhema churches, which is pretty good sampling, 46 out of 510 conducted a Sunday night service. It also found, we've also found out that of the 510 churches, a full 27% of the 510 churches only have a Sunday morning service. That means they do not have a Sunday night or a midweek. They only meet on Sunday. 27% is almost close to getting close to a third of Rhema churches don't even have a midweek service or a Sunday night service. Now, I understand that some of these churches have small groups. I understand the concept of small groups. They meet in small groups during the week. But that's not the same thing as the whole church coming together that we just read in in, in chapter 14, when the whole church comes together. That's not the same thing. Friends, 
That is not a church in revival. That's a church in decline. Just a few years ago, those stats were drastically different. A, only a few years ago. Again, I'm going to say that is not a church in revival. That is a church in decline. You cannot tell me that as we approach the end of the age, the Holy Spirit is leading us to not hardly meet together. Uh, that, that's, well, we'll get back to my main subject here. Go back to Ephesians 4. I want to close. Ephesians 4. From whom the whole, the whole body, and that would apply to the whole local church as well, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part makes it, uh, does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Notice that every joint or every member of the body of Christ has a supply to the local church. Every joint... Every member of the body has a supply. I have a supply to bring to the local church. And everybody expects me to bring my supply. And I'm glad to. You have a supply. Every one of you have a supply. And it's not just a financial supply. It's not just a financial supply. We will go to Romans 12. Romans 12. Here's the supply. For I say to you, this is verse number three, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, so that would have to be the local church. Couldn't be the universal church because universal church, all of the universal church wasn't among them. It's talking about the local church. To everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now this measure of faith, this is where I, I, I uh, divert a little bit from orthodox word of faith teaching here. This is not talking about, in my view, this is not talking about the, the faith that you use to receive an answer to prayer because of the context. He says to each one, because if you think about it, each one is not given a measure of faith for healing. Come on now. Faith comes by hearing. If you never read the Bible about healing, you'll have zero faith for healing. Okay? Faith comes by hearing. That kind of faith comes by hearing the word of God. Here he's talking about faith to function in the body. Notice he says... To everyone, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, talking about the human body as an illustration. He's illustrating something. For as we have many members in our physical body and all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given. And then he goes on to talk about how we use the gifts, the grace that we have to function in our place in the local body. First Peter, we don't have time to turn there. First Peter chapter 4. As each one has received a gift, 
Minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Notice that these verses, Romans and 1 Peter, we didn't look at it, but I just quoted it. Both of those, chap both of those passages tell us that all of us have gifts. Every believer is endowed with certain gifts and those gifts are intended for the church. That's why they're given. As we, each one has received a gift, let him minister it to one another. Where would that be? At the supermarket? No, at church. All, I'll say it again. Every believer is endowed with gifts. And, and those gifts are for the function that you have in the church. But if you never participate in the church other than attending, listen, attending the service is entry-level participation. And I'm not talking to new, about newer people that you're just now coming to our church, maybe even coming in a few weeks. You know, it takes a while for you to get in and, 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 and sort of feel at home and you make me think, oh, I'm hearing things here I've never heard before. Well, just stay you know, connected because it's all Bible. But, but it takes a while to, to get your identity established in a church. But I'm talking about if you've been coming here years and years and years and you only come to church and you never do anything else, what about, the, what about the gifts God gave you for this body? This body is wanting because of your lack of using your gifts. Well, amen. I'm not trying to be heavy, but that's just true. See, people mistake the difference between gifts and fruit. Gifts, our gift, God has given us certain gifts and their, their ultimate use is for the local church. But you know, a, a person's giftings. Now, the Bible talks about, it doesn't uh, make too many references to this. Usually when we think about spiritual gifts, we're thinking about the, 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 uh, the nine manifestations of the Spirit. But the Bible in, in Romans here, if we had time to read all of it, it talks about some, uh, another kind of giftings. It talks about uh, if those who lead, those who show mercy, those who give. Those are giftings in the body of Christ. Let's say you have, the, you have the, uh, the gifting of leadership. You know, a person's gift almost makes them or makes them almost unconsciously predisposed to do certain things. If, if God has given you the gift of leadership, you'll have that anywhere you go. If you're a member of the, uh, of, if you're called on to serve on a jury, you better watch out. Next thing you know, you'll be the foreman of that jury. It just comes natural. If you serve on the PTA, you're one, of the, you're one of the leaders. If you serve in some other club, next thing you know, they're asking you to lead it because you've got that gifting in your life. Well, it's supposed to be used in the church. So those things, those things make you almost un, unintentionally inclined to do certain. Fruit, on the other hand, are not so. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, so the fruit of the Spirit are all in us inherently, but boy, do they take some effort. Why? You have, to, you have to work on those fruit to develop them. Why? It's because the inclination of the flesh fights every single one of them. And one of those fruits is faithfulness. In churches, any church you go to, I'm not picking on anybody today, any church you go to, giftings are far more prevalent than faithfulness. Everybody has a gift, but what are you doing with it? Are you using that gift faithfully? Well, praise the Lord.
So what you, you ask the question, are you a believer or are you a brother? Are you a disciple only or are you a member of a spiritual body? You can answer with your mouth, but your life tells the, the real story. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.